Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Greg Linton, CEO and founder of Perinatal Access. Perinatal Access is a telehealth platform that connects general practitioners or OB-GYNs with perinatal specialists, also known as maternal fetal medicine specialists. These doctors are needed for high-risk pregnancies. And did you know that 20% of all pregnancies are considered high-risk? I had no idea it was that high. No idea. And the bad news is that there's a huge shortage of these specialists, and 98% of them work in major metropolitan areas. That leaves 24.5 million women in the U.S. of childbirthing age uh, living in a county without a specialist. 24.5 million women, not, you know, with having to drive hours into a city to see a specialist with her high-risk pregnancy. It's it, That's insane. Oh my God, I did not know this. This is why I do this podcast, y'all. It's crazy. Well, what Greg has come up with is this really, really cool solution where perinatal access will live stream ultrasounds from the doctor appointments that these women are going to within their counties to the perinatal specialists in the cities, live stream it so that they do get that care that they need for their high-risk pregnancy without having to drive hours into that city. So it's like an intra-tele, or yeah, intra-healthcare system telehealth. So cool. So cool. Greg Linton was inspired to start Perinatal Access based on his personal experience with premature birth of his twin sons, who are now awesome teenagers. Um, So this is a really cool episode. I know you're going to love it. Hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Brett. Good to be here. Thank you. I am so excited to interview you today for our podcast because you are working in a very hot industry right now of telehealth. And we've been talking a lot about on the show in particular, how telehealth is, is helping women's health. And so you knew that you knew it before COVID even started. Yeah, we did. We did. It's, it's been a problem for a while now. Access has been a problem for pregnant moms and, uh, we're excited to see see how we can impact that in the future. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, can't wait to get into it. Well, let's start with your background. Where are you from? What did you study? Did you always love, you know, the science of maternity? You know, like what what's your story? How'd you get in here? <laughs> well, I actually kind of just got thrust into it uh, mm-hmm. a while back, but I'll, I'll get into that story here. So yeah, I'm basically... Uh, uh, born and raised up in the Northeast, uh, lived in New York for a while, met New York State, Ohio, um, and mi- born in Michigan, and then uh, moved down to Tennessee, went to high school in Tennessee, went to school at Auburn in Alabama, and then um, and now I've been here in Dallas. I'm married to Texan, and I've been uh, locked here in Texas, not locked, but <laughs> just, I've been here in Texas for a long time, and uh, 
love it here. It's been a great, it's, it's a great, great state and a great place to be. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so essentially the reason I started perinatal access was born out of my own experiences. Mm -hmm. So in 2005, my wife was pregnant with our twin boys, Sam and Will, and she started showing some signs of preterm labor. And I, in fact, I used to be in orthopedics at the time. I was in orthopedic sales at the time. And I was loading up the car and, and traveling up to Texarkana to do some work up there. And I got a, a frantic call from my wife saying she was bleeding mm. and um, I need to get home quickly. So turned the car around, got canceled all my appointments, got in the car and I rushed her into to downtown and turns out from there and for about another four or five weeks we had a hit or miss with her being really early on in her pregnancy how many months was she at that time uh she was 24 weeks when she first started having problems um and then so long story short um she was on bed rest there at home for a while then she was in bed rest in the hospital for a while and then at 27 weeks i believe at 27 weeks in one day on uh, April 19th of 2005, the doctor came in that morning with a very serious look on her face saying, we need to, we need to do a stat C-section. And I'm like, oh, well, I win the next couple of days. She's like, no, now. Wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, your world just kind of, you get, you get kind of, your world just kind of spins around. And I'm glad I didn't know what I know now back then. Um, because it was just, it was a, it was a roller coaster ride. They told us that when the boys were in the NICU, they said it will be a roller coaster ride for the next three, four months. Was it your first children? Yes. Those are the first two, uh, there are only two kids right now. Mm -hmm. So, so they were born um, at seven months around? No, 27 weeks. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'm not that good at math. Yeah. So 27 weeks. (laughs) 27 weeks in one day. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Um, they do a C-section and then they were in the NICU. How long, you know, how much did they weigh and how long did they stay in the NICU? They were in the NICU. Well, they were two, just, just a little bit, I believe just a little bit over two pounds each. (gasps) Uh, And they were in the NICU. They were born on, like I said, they were, they were that C-section on April 19th of 2005. Their due date was late July, I believe, like 20th or 21st. I can't remember my wife could. Um, their due date was, was wow. end of July. So, um, and then they said, they told us when, when the boys first went in the NICU, they said, expect your boys to be here in the NICU until about their due date. And that was almost dead on. Yeah. Spot on. Wow. So Will was Will came home a little bit early. Will didn't have nearly the problems that Sam did. Mm. Um, Sam actually had a grade four inter, what's called the intraventricular hemorrhage. Um, and it could have been very, very serious. But I mean it, it I mean I, I would say by the grace of God, he is he is alive today, honestly. Mm. <laughs> I've seen pictures of your um, boys. They're teenagers now, right? They are, yes, yeah. yes. So you can actually go on our website and you can look at about us and you can see pictures of my wife and wow. I and our boys when they were in the NICU are and they, then today. Are I they major uh, major pain in the asses? Like good sons should be good teenager sons? Oh, of course they yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> all the other roles I can handle every single day. <laughs> Don't make me put you back in the NICU. Like, do you know yeah, what I've been through exactly. for you? <laughs> Uh, especially these days when everybody's locked up in the house together. It's like, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> they're good. 
So this really, good. really intense, like traumatic experience happens. And, you know, what, what happens next in your journey? So, yeah, so I was in, what happened next in my journey is after the boys were born. Yeah. Okay. So about when the boys are about five, I got a, a interesting, just a, I believe it was an email from a company called the OB Hospitals Group. Mm. And they were looking for a business development person. Um, they liked my background. They liked, you know, my resume. And they just said, hey, we want to talk to you about it. And at first I was like, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, and then I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to give these guys a shot. They were a bit of a small company at the time. And um, so I went and interviewed with them, really enjoyed it. It was a small entrepreneurial type company. And what I didn't know at the time was I, I was going to start developing a love for entrepreneur, mm-hmm. the entrepreneur life. Yeah, it's, um, uh, it's a bug for sure. You catch uh, it. And then you're like, I'm never going to have a boss ever again. <laughs> there is... There is not a cure. No. Not a, not a long one. Um, and so went and worked with them and, and really was able to come in at the early stages of the company and, and really have some, some I don't know, just some really neat experiences there and um, see the company grow and be a part of the growth and be a part of what, what they were doing. And now they're huge. And so um, in late 2017, I really made the switch to say, all right, you know what? It's time to start my own deal. Um, I've known, you know, through my work with OBHG, that's the short for OB Hospitalist Group. Mm -hmm. Through my work with OBHG, um, I've gotten to know a bunch of OBGYN physicians throughout the country, been in a lot of hospitals, knew a lot of the systems and the contacts there, a lot of uh, maternal fetal medicine physicians, which we'll talk about here in a bit, but Maternal fetal medicine physicians are simply OBGYNs that have gone on, not simply really, (laughs) three years of fellowship training in high-risk obstetrics. And they are much, much needed and very much under-supplied in this country and around the world. But um, I've gotten to know a lot of those physicians around the country too, um, and then really developed a love for obstetrics through, again, through my own personal experiences and my experience with OBHG. like I said, late 2017, the idea was formed and then really took uh, started really taking it off in 2018. Yeah. So let's talk about your company, Perinatal Access. What mm-hmm. is What do you guys do? What do you offer? Yeah. So just a little quick note here mm-hmm. too. I don't know if I've, ever, if, I, if, if, I, if I've mentioned this to you, but so in our logo, uh-huh. if you see our logo, you can, you can go to perinatalaccess.com and you can see our logo. It's got two little swooshes on it. They look like um, like ultrasound yeah. swooshes. And I'm sorry, three ultrasound swooshes. There's one big one, and then there's two on the inside. Mm-hmm. That is to represent my pregnant wife with our two boys. Oh, if that doesn't motivate you every day to keep going, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I know. It does. It does. And so every time I look at that logo, I think about it. Aww. Every single time. And I obviously look at it every day. Um, so, um, I'm so sorry. What was your question? <laughs> You're thinking about your boys. I get well, so, it. No worries. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> what is perinatal access? What do you guys do? Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you. <laughs> so, oh gosh, there's so much we want to do. Um, so right now we are at tele- telehealth solution to help 
um, maternal fetal medicine physicians, physicians we were just talking about, called, we'll just call them high-risk obstetricians, um, helping these physicians take care of more moms, essentially, mm-hmm. in our virtual health solution. So, so backing up, there's a shortage, first of all, of general OBGYN physicians. There's roughly a shortage of about 9,000 this year. That's only going to get worse by, by mid-century. That number is expected to triple. So that's just general obstetricians. Wow. For maternal fetal medicine physicians, there's only 2,000 in the whole country, in the whole U.S., and 98.5% of those percent of those are um, located in large urban cities. So there's a gap in care. Wow. So you're saying uh, about 2% of high-risk pregnancy doctors that did this extra training, uh, yeah. less than 2% live outside of major cities in the U.S.? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was even smaller than that. Wow. So there's a gap in care. um, And what we're trying to do, big picture wise, is really level the playing field. So you've got all these great academic teaching hospitals. You've got these places in, you know, uh, Dallas and Houston and New York City and all these great hospital systems with all these incredible physicians. But you've got moms that, that maybe don't have. The best access to them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have to drive hours to go and see these physicians. And so, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make care more accessible for these moms. Um, and so, our telehealth solution is both video visits, so the physician can do through our app that's available on, on uh, the iOS uh, Apple Store. They can do a video visit with the mom with a remote mom, as well as see a live stream of the ultrasound in real time. So mom goes into a local clinic, either an OB's clinic or maybe a hospital, a smaller hospital, or or just a hospital even in an urban setting. Um, As long as they've got our equipment in-house or we install third-party hardware that's connected to our software in the cloud, then they can connect right there from their clinic to a specialist. And really the big thing that that maternal-fetal medicine physician with high-risk obstetrician needs to see is a glimpse of the ultrasound. Yeah. And so that's why we stream that live ultrasound. Um, I liken our, our services to um, kind of the Hulu Live or Sling TV of ultrasound. <laughs> yeah. Live, live real-time streaming of ultrasound. Yeah. So that these women um, in rural areas can see their local OB-GYN or practitioner, but their telemedicine, quote unquote, I know I'm on a podcast, can't see it. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're being videoed and sharing their ultrasound in real time with these perinatal specialists that are in major cities. Right. Yes. And, or it could be, or it could even be moms in a, in a major city mm-hmm. and even in places like the Bay area or New York city or somewhere like that, even to go three, four, five miles can take a long oh, time. Yeah. If you're pregnant, you just, so making care as accessible as we can. Yes. Maybe it just means, you know, uh, OB-GYN clinic connecting with an MFM four or five miles away. Yeah. Still. It's it's not just a a rural thing. So, um, women and, you know, practices that don't have your equipment or your telehealth, you know, system yet, what do women do now? Do they travel to the cities or do they just not see one at high risk doctor? So it depends. So it depends on what the health system is doing. So, one of the places that I am working with right now is in one of our first contracts actually is, is Munson Healthcare in um, Traverse City, Michigan. 
um, just working with them now to get them up and going with the technology. And so essentially right now they've got, so you've got a lot of hospital systems will have hub and spoke models where they've got the hub hospital, which is the, the larger hospital that has all the specialists and, and all the, you know, the, the specialists and, 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 and healthcare providers. But then you've got some smaller hospitals that maybe don't have all the specialists. They could have maybe OB-GYN physicians, but in our case, they, they don't have an MFM, a maternal fetal medicine high-risk OB physician. And so what they do right now, what Munson is doing right now is they've got one doctor and she basically is traveling all around two and a half hours away, three hours away, four hours away to go to all these satellite sites, satellite clinics that could either be Munson-owned health clinics or Munson hospitals, or it could be other health systems that have partnered with Munson for for high-risk OB care. And so now she's having to drive all over the place with us we're going to install our equipment in these remote places. Yeah. That way the physician doesn't have to drive. And the so, women don't have to wait till she's in their, her, their town, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So now, or in, in some other places, maybe it's the opposite. Instead of the physician going out to the remote sites, sometimes it's mom having, mom doesn't have an option in her community. She's got to drive into the closest area that has care. Mm. Sometimes that could be upwards of three, four, five hours away. Yeah. Oh my you know, god. One place and uh, um, you know mul- multiple places that are uh, kind of a desert of care for high risk obstetrics, and moms have to drive. And one hospital I was talking to, they said they have an OB and MFM come out maybe one or two days a month. And I said, what happens on the other days of the month when moms, because moms need to see yeah. high risk of these all the time. They said, well, we tell them to drive three hours away to the closest time I found. I said, oh what, gosh. do they do that? And they said, oh, maybe 30, 40% of the time they do. Oh. I said, what about the others? And they said, they just go without care. Wow. Without, without high risk of be here. Yeah. Can you talk to us about what is high risk pregnancy? Like what defines that? And what are, what are the risks oh, there? Right. And also like, <laughs> How many women, how many pregnancies are considered high risk? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So the answer to, as to who is high risk, I'd probably have to, you know, a, a physician could answer this so much better than I could. But <laughs> essentially, it could be a multitude of reasons, honestly. It could be, did you have a high risk pregnancy before? Did you have pre, maybe a preeclampsia or gestational diabetes before? So you got a previous pregnancy and you... And either had some sort of condition or maybe had you had preterm labor or something mm-hmm. like that, you're immediately considered high risk. Um, gestational, excuse me, um, twins or triplets, that could be considered wow. high risk. Um, obesity, it could be, I mean, it could be numerous, numerous things mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean mom is sick or baby is sick, but it just puts them at a, at a category that means they're high risk for a potential problem. Got it. And we need to have a high risk obstetrician. And what percentage of pregnancies are considered high risk? Depends on the population, depends on the geography, but anywhere from, it could be anywhere from 20 to to 30%. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. And you keep saying geography. How did, why does geography have anything to do with your risk of pregnancy? Well, I guess, you know, it, it, uh, there are, I think geography meaning 
what does the healthcare look like in that particular city? Yeah. So yeah. do they have access to high quality healthcare right there in their city? Mm-hmm. It may mean there are ways away. If they don't have great access, then that might mean they go without. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also it, it's, it's, I hate to say it and it makes me, it actually, you know, it grieves me to even say that out loud, but yeah. it is, it's simply a fact. Yeah. Well, we're learning and talking a lot about that right now in the times of COVID and, and you know, what's happening with our racial disparities in this country, because it's uh, it's a fact. The data is out that, you know, black people are being hospitalized with COVID more than white people. And it's not that they're more susceptible. It's that they have more pre-existing conditions and not uh, access to, you know, good food or healthcare or an education. And so it's like this snowballed effect that leads them to be just more susceptible. And so I'm, I'm wondering if it, that sounds like it's kind of the similar situation for the pregnancy thing where it's not that, you know, and I can't, I can't get into, not because I just can't, but I, I, I probably have to default to somebody who knows like a physician who knows a lot more than this than I do, but I do know the facts. Mm -hmm. And that is that the U S is as far as maternal mortality goes, we are one of the worst as far as developed countries go. Wow. Yeah. Um, And so um, let's see here Uh, in 2018, they had to kind of redo and, and, and make sure the numbers look good because a lot of this is about data and, and, mm-hmm. and making sure you have good data, mm-hmm. right? If the mm-hmm. only, you're only as good as your data is actually when it comes to statistics. Yeah. Um, but in 2018, they found out that 658 women died of maternal causes in the United States. Uh, that turned out to be um, the, the maternal mortality rate was 17.4 deaths per 100,000 live births. Wow. Um, and, and, and again, these are just stats I'm, yep. I'm reading. Yep. Online, but women ages 40 and older die at a rate of 81.9 per 100,000 births, mm. meaning they're 7.7 times more likely to die compared to women under age 25. And as far as black women goes, um, that, that, that number is more than double of white women. Wow. Uh, 47.1 deaths per 100,000 live births compared to 14.7 for white women. Damn. Oh my and it's God. more than three times the rate for Hispanic women. <gasps> So, oh my gosh. you know, the, all the underpinnings of that, what that means, why that is, I'll leave to somebody that, that is much more, much smarter than I am that can answer those sorts of things, but yes. it is a problem. Yeah. And, we are going to get somebody to, we should do a whole, whole interview on just that. The, you know, mortality rate and for women, you know, giving birth based on race and why is that different in the history behind it? And I can, you know, I, I have a history of putting my guests on the spot. And so you've, you've handled yourself very well, sticking to the facts, sticking to the data. But uh, I know well, I that, could, yeah. I, I bet I've got a few people in mind that would be perfect for that. Perfect. So that, perfect. That to, yeah. Wow. Well, the moral of this story is that it's a huge freaking issue and that women need access to high risk pregnancy specialists. And the fact that less than 2% are working outside of major cities is a huge issue. And your technology bridges that gap, bridges that gap. Um, and we are, we're working on other solutions that are going to be, um, also help address this at home solutions mm. and things like that, that are really going to bring 
and make this care even more accessible, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, telemedicine in the time of COVID. So you, you know, called it before the pandemic started, you know, you did 2017, we weren't all meeting on Zoom. Now we are. Um, what has been your impression on how healthcare is changing from in-person appointments to telemedicine? How healthcare is changing. Um, are you seeing so a big you shift? You know, are you seeing a big shift? Are you excited about this shift? Does telemedicine oh, yeah. empower women more than in-person appointments? I think so. I think I think if we're going to do it, and and this is all very new, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obstetrics is a is a bit of a tricky specialty for telemedicine. Yeah. Um, Moms love their OBs and they've chosen them for a very particular reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you'll you'll start to see is maybe not a, a full telehealth. Some some moms may want that. They may want to just say, hey, listen, I want to do all my prenatal business in the home, whatever that looks like. Make it you know as, as remote for me as possible. And if they're low risk and the and they can pull it off, they'll 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 do it. Um, but I wonder if, and, and the way I see things shifting is, I think you'll probably see a, a hybrid model come into place, mm. meaning some of the visits will be mom will have to come into the clinic, but a lot of the follow-ups, a lot of the, a lot of the things they can, they can probably do from the home yeah. and do video visits from the home. They can, you know, if what we're developing is things that moms can do in the home that can be automatically uploaded to that data can be uploaded online and that can be read online by physician, nurse, whomever in the clinic. Um, and they can keep track of mom that way instead of always having them come in and only get information and data from mom as she's there in the clinic. Yeah. So um, yeah. things like that, I think, will become more commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not just COVID, right? I mean, COVID, we want to stay at home. We want to try to be as safe as possible. And, and limit interaction with other people as much as possible. And, and when you, but, but on the other hand too, we want to get ahead of the curve. So if we can make healthcare, and this is outside of COVID, if we can make healthcare more accessible to moms, they're more likely to be able to do the things that we're asking them to do. I mean, simple blood pressure checks can, can determine if mom's blood pressure starts ticking up Yeah, and that's, preeclampsia so we can we can make sure that we can catch that beforehand and we can see that trend beforehand then we'll be able to uh be able to catch it and and i say we meaning you know physicians and obviously i'm not a physician but i kind of feel like (laughs) i'm I'm part of the solution too yeah um but um you know i think that 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 physician and we empower patients and we empower physicians by putting tools in their hands that allow them to, to, to give care to moms mm-hmm. and, and to put care into mom's hands a lot quicker than they would have. Yeah. And I know there's at home like blood pressure machines for her to potentially upload the data there, but are, is there at home ultrasound machines and like are consumers mm-hmm. capable of doing that? No, no. I mean, that it's, it would be amazing. <laughs> it's not there. Uh-huh. I wish. <laughs> I mean, there are portable machines that that a, a sonographer, the tech that operates uh-huh. in the ultrasound machine, a sonographer could take to a patient's home, 
setup almost looks like a little laptop. They plug the ultrasound in there and they do that. Mm. There's also other technologies out there that turn a, a, a tablet into an ultrasound machine. So you plug mm. in, I've got a good friend of mine doing a, um, doing a, uh, that started the company like this. You just basically take a tablet and use a, um, an ultrasound one that's designed to plug in, got USB USB-C port, and it plugs right in, and boom, that, that turns into your ultrasound wand. Whoa. Uh, it doesn't have quite the technology that, like, a large MFM's you know, ultrasound unit that they've got at their clinic. Yeah. But it can do some some basic triage and some, some basic OB. I'm excited to see what kind of innovation comes out of the pandemic in terms of telemedicine for types of, you know, checkups that you wouldn't necessarily think are telemedicine. I was joking around with someone like, when are they going to modify my iPhone camera to measure my eyes? So my, my eye doctor appointment can be at home, you know? And when I think about OB gins, I think about ultrasound or at home pap smears or, you know, what are, what are those more quote unquote complicated appointments that need equipment? Like, I, I hope somebody right now is in their garage making it saying because of COVID, this needs to be made, you know? I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I think what, what we are seeing though in that area, as far as um, some of the, the great technologies coming out are, are pla- things that can be placed in like a, a, a general, like, like a, a intro, like a family practice doctor's mm. office that can scan for uh, glaucoma or something mm-hmm. like that. So those sorts of things are available right now. Yeah. Now, whether or not they'll have some some sort of scanner at home, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, One day, you know Greg. It's, be coming, it's right? coming. You know it's coming. I know it is. <laughs> so, that would be amazing. And, and, and just the technology that we've got today is amazing. As far yeah. as dermatology goes. And, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's really exciting to see. And I'm excited to see... You know, especially these moms that are high risk that are at home, mm-hmm. um, that are on bed rest at home. I mean, Amy was at home on bed rest, and the only the only tool that we had at the time was to pick up the phone and call our doctor's office. Wow, yeah. that's that was our only connection into mm-hmm. the doctor's office. Um, and if we could just provide tools that will, you know, and connect with tools that will will give those physicians. And give that mom peace of mind and those physicians peace of mind. And mom's doing okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we can, we can, we can uh, improve outcomes. Definitely. Well, let's talk for a minute about your gender. <laughs> so, you, your gender. You are a male founder. Yeah, you're a male founder yeah. in femtech. <laughs> And um, more than 80% of femtech founders are women. And a lot of times they're solving their own personal problems. Um, you know, I'm very bullish on femtech is not female founder because I believe that everyone should care about women's health and wellness, not just women. And so we, we, I think proportionally based on how many, uh, female founders there are and male founders, proportionally our interviews have been like 80, 20. Um, but I love to ask our male founders about, you know, your experience talking about women's health. Um, has it been, you know, well received by investors or partners? Have you been asked, like, why don't you have women on the team? Like, what has your experience been like? Uh, yes, a very good question, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> 
Um, it has been a bit of a challenge at times. Um, I think people are often surprised to see, wow, you're a guy. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't yeah. expect that. Yeah. Um, but, but I think what you will see though, Brett is as time goes on and as the company grows out and as we, we continue to bring on other folks into the company, you will definitely see female representation. I guarantee you that. Um, oh, yes. You have yeah. female physicians, maternal fetal medicine physicians, and OB physicians that have had a huge role into the input into this company mm-hmm. um, that have been just put in free hours sometimes, sometimes just call them up and, and ask them about this idea or that idea. And they've just been extremely helpful. And um, so I think you, you, even though there's nobody really in the company that's female right now, you definitely have female influence. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. And, and, uh, and hearing your thoughts too has been, been helpful as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's definitely in the roadmap. Yeah, sure. no, definitely. I mean, I've been working with you for a few months now. And so I know there's a lot of feminine energy and female input into all of that, but it's, it's interesting you say that people are surprised that you're a male founder because our other male founders have said the same thing, that they go to pitch and investors are surprised that a man is leading it. And I, I kind of equate that to there's this societal, you know, expectation that women care about women's health, but a man caring about women's health is odd. That is so odd, you know, like, why and how would you care? I can see for your story, it's, you know, it's a, it's a story about your wife and your son. So, so it is personal, but, um, you know, just, I, I'm, I want to encourage any male listeners to start that femtech company because every gender (laughs) should care. Every gender should care, you know, and the more men we get involved, you know, the more we're going to break that stigma. And I, you know, obviously I've never been pregnant. I think that's, that's pretty safe to say. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it, it, it pains me and it hurts me to see and hear stories I get all the time. I, I go do a pitch somewhere or I do a presentation somewhere and it never fails. I get somebody coming up to me afterwards saying, Oh my gosh, I love your story. Well, you know, they, they love it from the sense that I've got a personal connection mm-hmm. and they say, Oh, my, my sister or my, you know, my, my cousin or somebody that I know went through that same thing or I went through that same mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of women that have said, Oh my gosh. Yeah. 20 years ago or two years ago or five years ago, whatever. I went through that same thing and I wish I would have had, I would have loved to have had telemedicine. Yeah. So I could have had easier access to care. Yeah. That would have made my life so much easier and much more convenient. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, but yeah, I do, I do hear that a lot. And um, it's made me definitely more, <laughs> aware of the female perspective and I that's why I love your perspective and other other females that are are involved in the input of this company Mm -hmm. which I Mm -hmm. treasure well I love what you're working on I I mean it's directly going to save women and babies lives literally and so I I love that I love all of our organic tampon companies I love our 
get the bra that fits the best companies. But I also, <laughs> I'm particularly passionate that I'm like, no, 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 this one directly touches on saving lives. Um, so thank you. Thank you for some, you know, what you do. Cause being a founder is not easy. Um, no, <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> I have, uh, two last questions for you. <laughs> Speaking about being a founder and how it's not easy. We are encouraging our listeners to start a company anyways, because it's worth it. And, uh, we do have a lot of listeners that want to start a femtech company, but they just don't know what to innovate. So in your opinion, what are areas in women's health and wellness that still need improvement, that they need innovating? Oh, absolutely. Um, wow. How long do you have again? <laughs> um, I would say, you know, remote hardware where we can, you know, get tabs on what's going on with mom mm. in the home or just in the workplace or wherever that might be. Um, that would be extremely helpful. If anybody can, you know, come up with a in-home OB, uh, excuse me, ultrasound, that would be amazing. Um, I think, I think it would also be helpful to have a way for sharing of information, um, being able to have different specialists collaborate, things like mm -hmm. that. Um, I don't know, you know, what 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 that might be, but anytime we can we can make it easier for hospital system A, if patient goes from hospital system A to uh, a physician that's not involved with that particular hospital system, the sharing of information, all that is is hard, especially you know. In any specialty, honestly, and so that would help in this case. Um, but yeah, I, for me, mostly it's it's remote. Yeah, it's yeah. mom in the home, mom in the workplace. What are some devices? What are some things that we can have, especially pregnant moms, that would make their life a heck of a lot easier? Yeah, I yeah. That would be that would be a way, you know, devices that they could use or or things that they can use that would be. Um, make either healthcare more accessible for them or give their physician more insight. Mm, I love it. Those are great projects. Those are great projects. And again, projects that would literally go to saving lives. I love it. And Absolutely. our our last question is, what do you think femtech as an industry needs the most right now to be successful? Awareness. Mm. You know, I think yeah. um, if you, if you look at femtech, I think, Thanks to you, honestly, and thanks to others that are femtech leaders in the industry, um, they're getting the word out. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, maybe you see this differently, but femtech really hasn't been until the last couple of years. I don't think it's really been talked about much. Oh no, nope. And it's not definitely not been a hotspot for investors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you know, investors need to become more aware of this, um, and. And, and so a podcast like yours and people going out there and making the word and getting the word out, um, I think we can, you know, and, and getting the, 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 the stats out, just like we were talking about a minute yep. ago, like maternal mortality rates. If people will understand what's really going on with moms around this country, mm -hmm. and I don't even think those maternal mortality rates or even really tell the full story because they only go up to so many days after childbirth. It's like oh, oh, yeah. 40 some days, but if they could be extended out 
further, you're probably going to see that number see rise yeah. because you really need to look at, you know, things like, um, this, this might be another one, what, uh, postpartum depression. Yeah. You know, focusing research on postpartum depression. That is a real problem. Yeah. Uh, and just, just focusing on things, you know, once moms have babies, people are like, oh, hey, great, congratulations, you're good. Now you take baby home and everybody's good and happy. Well, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe not. Yeah. Maybe they are, but maybe not. Yeah. And postpartum yep. depression is, is a real problem that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just things like that, that, that is, as long as we continue to get the word out about these things, real numbers that are showing how it impacts women's, you know, women's, women across the country. Yes. Um, I think we will, we will begin to see some change. Mm. Greg, thank you so much for that. It gives uh, me motivation to continue to interview amazing people like yourself. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, you know, some days it's exhausting and the world is crazy right now. And I wonder like, am I prioritizing the right things? And when people say the thing <laughs> that our industry needs is awareness, I'm like, Oh yeah. Just keep interviewing. Just keep interviewing. <laughs> You're, you are doing, doing the mission. Doing. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Keep on. Yes. Keep it. Keep on. Keep it on. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Greg, this has been so great. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my interview with Greg Linton, CEO and founder of Perinatal Access. Greg was ahead of his time in developing a telemedicine platform pre-COVID-19. Telemedicine empowers women. We thought that before COVID and now COVID has put telemedicine on the forefront and we have proven it that telemedicine empowers women. And it is a shame that we needed a pandemic to figure this out, but here we are. And making healthcare accessible to moms can literally save their lives. And America should not be number one in maternal death for developed countries. Um, That's cray. And we should not be proud of that at all. And we should really be investing in fixing that issue. And I think that Greg's product here at Perinatal Access is, you know, assisting that problem by getting women with high-risk pregnancies access to the types of doctors that they need to be seeing. I was totally shocked by the mortality rates of moms in America, but especially shocked by the disproportionate numbers of Caucasian women versus Black and Hispanic women with uh, maternal deaths. We do have a bonus episode that we launched last week on Black women's health, and we are in the process of scheduling a Hispanic women's health episode, which is coming soon, because at Femtech Focus, we believe, you know, empowering all women all walks of life kind of women, you know? Um, and it's it's outrageous to me, the lack of equality in healthcare between men and women, but even within women, the lack of equality within us is, is also just, it's, <laughs> I'm speechless, right? Like it's horrible, but um, we have this platform and so we're going to use it for good. And so we're going to keep talking about this stuff and bring it up and, and talk about solutions. So thanks so much for uh, listening to the podcast. I want to remind you to register for the Women's Health Innovation Summit that is in September. It is a virtual four-day event. Uh, Get your early bird tickets at womenshealthinnovationusa.com. 
Support the podcast by subscribing, rating, reviewing. Follow us on social media. We're on all the platforms at Femtech Focus. We may even be giving away tickets to uh, events. Who knows? You should follow us to find out. Um, check out our website, femtechfocus.org. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.